All right, today is actually, I think, going to be one of my favorite days. It's the biggest <laughs> mistakes of reef lighting. We dig into lighting here, as you know, like all over the place. Yep. And I'm going to be honest, lighting is one of the easiest things to get right. Easy. Yeah. And, you know, it's avoiding the failures that's the hard part, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from just a, a, being an average hobbyist and then going into like doing the extensive testing, we've seen all the mistakes, we've made all the mistakes. And today we're gonna help you avoid all the mistakes yourself so you can get it right the first time. All right, so mistake number one is just assuming that mounting height is whatever height the legs are or that it doesn't <laughs> matter at all. That is absolutely not true. Yeah, mounting height, I and mean, this is something that just recently came to light into my mind's eye from testing uh, mounting height and the proper mounting height. Like half the time I would just slap a light on the legs that were included or on the tank mount that I can buy for my light and then just assume that the light manufacturers had me in their best interest when making that. Uh, but come to find out, as you raise them up uh, and test par, there are absolutely optimal mounting heights out there. Yeah, so I actually saw this in old lightings with halides and whatnot as well. Like some of the halide fixtures have these tiny little reflectors in mm -hmm. there and it's just laser beams coming out of it. Yeah. If you raise it two feet off the tank, suddenly it works, you know? Yeah. Or ultimately there was also big, huge halide reflectors where the bulbs two feet off the tank by nature and it worked great. So same thing with LEDs. Mm. So this is why mounting height matters. So A, we're looking to get spread into the tank. Yep. And it's not a, it's like finite improvements. It's a really big deal between like 50 par in the corner and a thousand in the center mm raise it up four inches and all of a sudden it's 400 par in the center and five or 400 in the outside and 500 in the center. Right up the same. And yeah. it's only four inches of difference that make up the difference. I think I liken it to like shining a flashlight on a wall. So if, if I've got this panel or square on the side of the wall and I'm trying to get my flashlight in all of that square I can, four inches close to the wall, I'm probably like maybe 10% uh, of that square. But as I back up off of, off of the wall, now my little flashlight is taking up that whole square. Same thing in the tank. So another thing that we think about here is the farther you lift it up, the more spill you get in the room. True. Spill is loss of efficiency. True. Right? And there's a point where I don't want 50% of my light going into the room. Yeah. Right? You know, just even if it gets better spread, I lost half the light. Doesn't right, work. right. So it absolutely matters. And so one of the things we're doing in all the new BRS TV investigates is we're measuring them at every single inch, you know, for you because, you know, you're not going to take a grid of par measurements at every no. inch at home, you know. Uh, if you do, bravo. Uh, but <laughs> we can do it for you. So one step here can solve it for tens of thousands of other people mm. later. So watch the investigates and see, and you can see, you get like really, really easy to see. Ah, at eight inches, it's so much better than four or six or twelve. And it changes with light to light for sure. Yeah. All right. So number two is actually spacing the lights evenly on the tank. Looks good to the eye in yep. the essence it uh, doesn't fire off my OCD, but not the best way to do it. Yeah, common fail here uh, that, again, I didn't come to light for my, myself until we started testing it, but when I mount a light to it on, on a tank, automatically my eye goes to divide this tank up evenly, whether I have two, three, four lights or what have you, put them evenly across the tank, now it looks good. But does that mean that it's optimally, optimally spread uh, throughout the entire tank? Our testing shows no. Okay, common sense says no, actually, yeah. right? So uh, if you have two lights, basically they intersect in the center between them and create a hot spot. Mm -hmm. And uh, like in the middle of the tank, you have four lights, the two intersect in the, in the center, and you actually get even more spill from the edges and it just gets, creates this giant hot spot in the center. Yeah. Meanwhile, 
there's no light on the edges on uh, both of the sides of the tank because it's trying to be even. So what we're finding is that there's a better way to do this. And you can spread out some mm -hmm. of the light, push it over to the sides, try to even it out so there's less intersecting light, get better coverage, especially on the corners. And again, I think there's gonna be a theme here actually now that right. we're talking about it. You know, I don't expect all of you guys to go out there and measure a million different grids, right? Yeah. So we're gonna do it for you, and we're gonna do it on a whole bunch of different lights, so it, you know, kind of get out of the gate and you know, have 20 different light sources. Mm -hmm. that You know exactly how to space these things, and we can show it with real data as to where to do it. So we can do it for you, but really it does matter. Yes. And some of them more so than others, yes. the laser beam lights uh, matter a lot. The, and the ones that are less tend to like a better coverage, tend to coat the tank a little differently and a little less susceptible to that. But we're gonna share that all with you guys in the future, but definitely it's worth thinking about. And once you cross your mind about how all these intersect together, you know that even spacing actually isn't the best. Right, so number three is assuming the disco ball effect you see in your tank is only a visual effect and not something biological as well. Yeah, I mean, when you th think about it and you look at the bottom of your tank, uh, some people don't know until you, until you bring it up to their attention that this is a disco ball type of shimmer. I mean, the shimmer looks pretty awesome. It's dancing all over the place. Uh, but what you're actually seeing is sh uh, you know, caustic lines of red green, uh, blue, white, individual colors. And when you think about this coral that can't really move, uh, it's just kind of stuck here. And every once in a while, this hot beam of red or hot beam of green or hot beam of white just kind of focuses on it. And it does that like hundreds of thousands of times a day. There's probably something uh, there that's not beneficial for the coral. Yeah, so the coral is absolutely optimized to specific spectrums. And if you let it, it'll get kind of accustomed to almost anything, mm. but if it's constantly shooting little laser beams of spectrum all over the place, uh, different intensity you know, spikes of the spectrum, not only visually do I see a rainbow of colors shooting all over the place, mm. but that's what the, color or the coral is actually feeding off of essentially as well. And so it does matter, and I can tell you for sure at the top of the tank it tends to be the worst. Corals tolerate that the least because it tends to be even more focused Pronounced, on the yeah. top, right? Mm -hmm. and for the people out there saying, well, I don't know if that matters or not, I'm like, well, basically you have to say spectrum doesn't matter at all. Mm. Because if I can shoot it and see it and then use a par or spectrometer and measure it, like, and it's just going all over the place at yeah. the bottom and every shot from one second to this next. So it's not just that it's visual to the eye. If we want to keep getting better and better lighting and we're losing corals specifically at the top and you don't know why, you really should consider about like what spectrum's doing. And especially if you can see it with the naked eye, which is like the worst measurement tool for about right. anything, it's probably a problem. All right, so the number four fail here is uh, something that I think a lot of us have run into over the years. And it's not really considering what the goal for this tank is. And if you don't have that, you're not gonna succeed. Yeah, we're talking in terms of par. So if, uh, if I like a tank full of, you know, waving euphilia and these softy toadstools and leathers and things like that, my par goal for that tank is completely different than my par goals for a tank where I just have Acropora and sticks and they're completely opposite of each other and one does not work for the other. Yeah, so you really gotta think about it. And it's not just about like, can I get the right tool for the right job? It's like, 
why spend 10 times as much money as I need to? Because if I'm buying the super fancy lights for a tank that's got some sinularia and some zoanthids in it, yeah. uh, you don't need $2,000 in lighting for yeah, that, right? True. And so, uh, you know, get the right tool for the right job, consider what kind of tank this is, and then apply that to the lighting selection and how you tune it. And so the second part of that is even knowing what par range you're in, mm. you know? And so, uh, with the SPS tank, we're generally shooting for what? Yeah, we're, we're aiming for 200 to 350 par in as much of the tank as possible. So from top, middle, and bottom, and this is why you see in the BRCB Investigates, we measure at those different levels in the tank, and then we aim for at least like 70% of the tank in those ranges, uh, and, and we use multiple data points of testing. But you know, even if you just had a par meter at home and you just kind of aim it, uh, aim your par meter and take a little bit at the bottom, a little bit in the middle, a little bit at the top, come up with this idea that most of my tank is 200 to 350, then I'm optimized for SPS. Yeah, and so with the LPS, it's the same mentality, 75 or 50 to 150, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And where we came up with those numbers? is we went to like all the pros. We looked at like yeah. a lot of tanks that are having lots of success around here. We went to like Worldwide Corals, what are they doing? And so, yes, there are some tanks that are outside of that pocket like a little bit, but this is the sweet spot where for sure lighting will not be your problem. You know, if you set this up in that range, you will have success. So that leads right into number five, uh, that is not using a PAR meter and just assuming the human eye is gonna tell you how much PAR you have in your tank. Yeah, uh, this is, the human eye is the worst tool at this whatsoever. Uh, I mean, especially like if I go and crank up my whites or I change my white channel, my PAR might, visually it may look like I got a ton of light in there, but my PAR might not change as much or vice versa. I may actually change the PAR significantly, but my eye tells me, it really didn't change much. It didn't get much brighter. Uh, the only way, the, the best practice way, and really the only way to get it accurate is by renting or buying a PAR meter and testing for sure. Yeah, so renting preferably, because yeah. it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so here's the thing, is the human eye tends to see brightness as like white or like mm -hmm. you know, components of white, like green and yellow and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I crank it up, what you think is bright has nothing to do with par, which is all down that blue range. And I haven't actually met very many people that can guess within like, mm -mm. you know, 100 or 200 points of what it is. Like, at, only on their own tank, if they had some reference point and a right. lot of practice, would they have any idea what the par actually is in the tank. I think I can make an educated guess only because I know what, major, what a majority of the fixtures actually put out on their own because I've tested it before. Mm -hmm. And I can say, ah, that, you know, this primes over here are probably, you know, in that 75 to 150 range, maybe not in the two to 350 range. Yeah, so here's the deal, is uh, a par meters used to be 500 bucks and nobody wanted to rent them, yeah. or buy them rather. Now you can rent one for, you know, somewhere 60 and uh, 70 bucks. And I think you actually save some money and do the $60 one because I don't think it actually is that much better than the other one, mm -hmm. but you know, it's up to you. But for 60 bucks, man, I spent all this money on lighting and now I can just measure it and know for sure that I got this thing right, right? Yeah. And not just be wondering, is it too high, is it too low? And just constantly in that spiral, I can set up my lights and just leave it alone and know for sure that I got this right. Well, the best part about that too is, uh, I only have to test it really once because uh, this is lighting. This is why it makes it is one of the easiest things in the reef to get right is, you know, I have this goal of an SPS tank or an LPS tank. I use a par meter. I set my tank where a majority of the tank top to bottom is in those ranges I'm targeting. 
and I never have to touch it again. My corals will grow, you know, things will change as coral-wise, uh, but my par and where those numbers are won't significantly change. So this is becoming a theme here, actually, uh, and I should have recognized it beforehand. But uh, <laughs> you started doing these new re uh, videos, and you're sharing like the heights and the mountain mm -hmm. stuff. So you don't actually have to use a par meter because we're going to produce a whole series of videos uh, out there, and you've already seen some of them in the Hydra and the mm -hmm. new Radions and whatnot, mm -hmm. where we actually give you the right settings to get in there as long as you have something similar to a 24 cube or a 120 gallon tank, and you could probably instead of just visually guessing it. You can probably Start transfer that. that to like a 90 gallon tank or you know a 180, just using like a little bit of common sense mm -hmm. and logic to get pretty close. Yeah. And if you want for 70 bucks, you can go and make sure you got it really right. You know. But hey, I think one of those things is if uh, hopefully we'll get all all these lights out in the next few months, and you'll just be able to reference and say, ah, those are my settings, <laughs> and I know I got this par thing right. All right. So number six is not recognizing the signs of not enough light, right? Mm -hmm. And this means that you just kind of ignored everything we already said, <laughs> and you're just gonna wing it and hope for the best and visually try to assess whether the, the corals survive through whatever mm -hmm. you did. Yeah, this is, a, this is really hard to do, uh, recognizing the signs of not enough light and uh, maybe too much light, but you know, there's, there's parameters in the tank that, well, maybe my acropora is not doing so well because it's, you know, a nutrient deficient or it's flow or it's something like this. But when it comes to light, you know, especially in uh, their corals will give you some telltale signs. So zoas, polyps and things like that, even some of these euphilias and LPS look like they're reaching for light. Stretchy. Yeah. Way out. They're just yeah. reaching for light because they, they're aiming, they're looking for more par. Or vice versa, SPS, you know, might uh, actually brown up or turn brown because they don't have enough light. So you might think that that stretching out looks cool to you, but it's an act of desperation, a survival <laughs> mode. It's just like trying to capture as much space as it can. Mm. And so, like, uh, find some median. So if you're seeing like your whole tank just stretching out that way, it's probably too dim, and you can turn it out. Now I'm going to tell you that like, almost nobody goes too dim these days because the lights are all so overpowered. But if you're a case, if you're in that box, you'll be able to see it pretty easy. And almost never will you see things like die from not enough light. Yeah. Right? Uh, like they just tend to stretch out. They're Sometimes not thriving. Sticks start to brown out, mm -hmm. lose all their mm -hmm. color, and they may never get it back. Uh, but, you know, they may over a long enough timeline. But things just start to like not look good. And sometimes with sticks, I've seen that the tissue starts to look thin. They're just not providing enough energy for the corals. And especially if they start losing tissue, uh, but losing tissue is actually a sign of uh, too much light in many cases. So that's actually number seven, yeah. right? Which is, what are the signs that you're over lighting the tank and the like tank is getting too much? Again, you ignored everything that we just said yeah. and just chose to wing it and try to visually assess, <laughs> assess whether or not the corals like this light. Yeah, I think uh, this one might be a little easier to spot because it mostly, it, it probably relates to mostly like death, tissue loss, bleaching events and things like that, especially bleaching in like in your sticks and acros. Uh, but even some LPS can bleach out and get really thin tissue. Uh, but you're just seeing like this retracted coral and you know, just RTN or STN if you're looking at acros. So you can see them visually, they are retracting, trying to get away from the light. Mm. You know, everything's coming in and you're just like, you're obviously killing it. Yeah. It is not because you need more and they're like, desperately wondering where more light is. It's the opposite. And a lot of people think that actually, uh, surprisingly, especially if you've done this the first time. Well, the things are dying, 
uh, it must be that I don't have enough light. Mm. It's actually, you turn the light up and everything dies even faster. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and then with uh, SPS, often you'll just, they'll bleach out and just die within a matter of days mm. if you're too high. Uh, sometimes uh, LPS can recover from it. And I will say that a lot of corals out there can slowly adapt to really high light. And that's where True. you're going to end up with your mixed tanks, mm -hmm. where LPS sweet spots, you know, often a lot lower than SPS. But over time, you can actually get them to kind of adapt into a similar range, you know, as long as it stays that way all the time. Yeah, and uh, I mean, of course, both of these, six and seven, are easily resolved with just testing and having a goal. I gotta be honest, like the $70 par meter rental thing, <laughs> you've gotta be out of your mind to not try this out, especially if you're a new reefer, right? Yeah. Because like everybody debates lighting endlessly. It's so much discussion and it's one of the easiest things to get right if you just measure instead mm. of flip some switches and hope for the best. I mean, even more so if I, the investment, like I know when I bought my 125 gallon, the, the four radions for my 125 gallon light, uh, my 125 gallon tank, that cost a, you know, that was a dent in my wallet. Uh, but what did I do? I went and flipped switches and blindly just kind of set them up. I had no idea. But uh, that kind of investment for 70 bucks, so. Uh, here's the big thing is if you're seeing this already and things are dying and uh, you're seeing everything shrink away from the light, now mm. the corals cost way more than 70 bucks. So this is an investment actually to save the investment you've already made. So, True. Uh, but those are the signs. And some of the biggest fails is actually if they're starting to die, that it is not because there's uh, not enough lights because there's too much and add more. And if you bring it back, by the way, and bring it down, the things you're going to do is make an adjustment and leave it there. Yeah. Don't just keep tweaking it because it'll just keep making the problem worse. Uh, and so if you just keep guessing and switching all the time, they're adaptive creatures. They'll adapt to almost anything if you just give them a chance. So, you know, let it melt out and leave it there. All right. So number eight mistake of, uh, when it comes to reef lighting, and we're talking like higher uh, ranges of the two, 200 to 350, our Acropore, our SPS dominated tanks, not enough flow. Yeah, so these things are actually kind of closely related because there's all kinds of like oxidants and stuff that are happening as a byproduct of photosynthesis. And there really needs to be enough flow in there to be able to get rid of all the byproducts of photosynthesis. Mm. If not, it becomes really toxic to the coral and that's when you see it bleach and expel all the zooxanthellae because the zooxanthellae is actually killing the coral at that point. Mm. And it needs to get rid of it just in a like, weak attempt to try to survive. Right? So slow flow, I can't get that stuff off of my skeletons. Fast flow, it's gone. Yeah, yeah. so it helps it. It's metabolic function. Yep. It's like pumping it. It's allowing more uh, of the uh, like uh, pollutants and stuff to pass through the tissue. Flow is just a good healthy mechanism for it to help release all those byproducts of photosynthesis. Probably why you see professionals like WWC in their like their 905 gallon, 500 gallon tanks that they had set up in the old shop uh, with massive you know flow producing uh, power heads and all also additional multiple ones all over the place and why they have amazing looking acropora colonies yeah and so here's the thing and they say at this thing is uh flow is more important than lighting right and that's because at the start of this we told you that lighting is actually one of the easiest things to get right and it is if you get a par meter and do it intelligently, <laughs> like it is, I just get inside this pocket, I use the tools, there's like known spectrums mm -hmm. of most of these things, it's actually pretty easy. And even easier without the, the par meter, if you just like follow one of your investigates and you can just see where it is, it'll get you really close, probably yeah. close enough. Yeah. Uh, 
But flow is not just two pumps aimed at each other because there might be 50 times turnover in the front, but over there in that nook where the other SPS is, they're not aimed at directly. It's probably one times turnover. Right. And so if you see that conversation, flow is hard to get right because I need to figure out where the dead spots are, mm. where there's only one or two times turnover, and not just worry about the front of the tank where there's a hundred. You yeah. Know? Uh, and so you know, flow is a big thing. If you're going to ride the limits, especially on an SPS tank, and really want to like have a higher par tank, uh, flow is one of the easiest ways to make sure that you're not going to have any detrimental impacts from that. Okay, so number nine is something we talk about a lot, but a lot of people miss it, is the benefits of panel style lighting. Yeah, this, I mean, your T5s, your metal halides with large reflectors, uh, and now some, uh, even even now with some LED manufacturers going with a larger panel style light, like think of your Orifix and think of, uh, you know, a while ago we did Philips Coral Care and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, these panel style lights, uh, more diffused, more evenly blanketed, uh, the, instead of a spotlight shining straight down into the reef, I now have this, like, sun, you know, uh, blanket coming down into my reef. Yeah, so I think a lot of people miss it, and partially it's because they don't want a large four-factor light. Mm. You know, they want something that's this size, small, this big, modular, you know, yeah. super easy, and looks like, unless I didn't know, unless I knew better, I would just go with the small one that looks like it does just mm. as good. Uh, and, and actually, for 80% of the tanks out there, I don't think the panel lighting is actually required. So if you just have a LPS tank, a softy tank, or even a mixed tank, for the most part, a small form factor lighting with really good spread mounted at the right height is actually adequate. Yeah. It's only when you want wall-to-wall -wall SPS, right? And like, I know where I'm going. It's going to take me five years to get <laughs> there, but I want one of the super epic tanks where it's just you know, clusters of SPS and I can't have them shattering each other or they're all just going to die. Right. And the easiest way to do that is create that blanket of light that comes from a large panel source. It is not ever going to be the same as a small compact source of light. It will never produce the same thing as something mm. this big. It does uh, tend to get heavier, does tend to get bigger, sometimes more expensive, a little harder to mount. Right. But if you, this is, hits one of the earlier ones, yeah. is know what your goal is. Yeah. If your goal is not wall-to-wall -wall SPS, actually all these other options are legit. Yeah. And they have, uh, very obvious benefits of lower cost, smaller yes. form factor, easy to get in and out of the tank, they're not easier to hang, all right. those things. Right. But if your goal is I want one of those super epic wall-to-wall -wall SPS tanks, panel lighting <laughs> is a really, really awesome option. All right, so number 10 is actually almost the exact same thing, which is missing the value of a grid of small form factor lights. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we've done on our own in the 750XXL, but even when we tested the primes uh, in, in BRS TV Investigates episodes from a while ago, uh, where we you make this grid of small points of light and with all of the intersections from all the, the I mean, we're talking like eight fixtures, maybe 10 fixtures, where the, how they intersect with each other all the way across the tank now creates that similar blanket of light all throughout the entire tank and I can just turn them down or I can even you know adjust them as needed. But the smaller output in one, inherently they're going to be uh, less par output than a large or a single modular type fixture with more wattage. Uh, but that's to our benefit, it's the intersection of light that creates that higher par level. Mm -hmm. So I think of like a Hydra uh, 64 it has like four little pucks in it, right? Mm -hmm. So I could light, you know, I don't know, usually use two of them on a, like a four foot tank. 
but if I took those same four pucks and spread them out to eight spread out, now, man, I get this blanket of light. Mm. And sometimes it's not even like that much more cost of, or, uh, costly. Like I know right. the XR15s, two of them is pretty close to one uh, XR30, and there's lots of examples of that. Yeah. But yeah, if I can spread out all the little sources of light, it's almost the same thing as a big you know, blanket panel of light. Mm. In some ways, maybe even better and easier to control the zones and right. stuff. And so like, if I have a mixed tank and I want to have a LPS area over there, with those types of lights, I can actually turn down just that area. and Or on a, a tank like where on the front of it, usually the corals are down below in the water column, but in the back, the rock work builds it up. Yeah. I can actually decrease the amount of light in the back of the tank and increase it on the front, creating that super even zones within the tank. So the panel of uh, like small form factor or grid of LEDs is actually one of the best solutions out there. All right, so number 11 is kind of close to that one actually too, which is <laughs> over buying for your application and just wasting a bunch of money. I mean, there's a re the, again, the reoccurring theme. If you have a goal, I don't like an LPS. If I have an LPS goal and I know uh, uh, I can get the job done with like one, say XR30 instead of uh, three or four of them, then I'm not. I mean, then I'm not going to overbuy and go buy three or four of them when one's going to get the job done. So common mistake, overbuying for your specific application. So this actually came up this week as a really really good example when all, all of the Radeon G5s came out. In your video, you're sharing what the LPS settings are yeah. and the SPS settings. And people are like, well, why would you recommend, mm. you know, turning this light down to 20% you know, yeah. or whatnot? And the answer is, is we wouldn't. No. If, you, if you ask me which one you should buy, I would tell you to go get an XR15, mm. right? And what you haven't seen quite yet is the yeah. XR15 video is coming. Yeah. And you're definitely going to hear the, hey, if you're an LPS, I want to run this at like 60% or something. Uh, this is obviously a better buy than buying the larger brother. If you're in just for LPS and softies and Simularia and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, why why overbuy for the application? Mm. And you don't need a grid. You don't need a panel. You don't need eight million light sources for that application. So like save some money and scale it back. Okay, so the opposite of that is uh, underbuying for your application as well, yeah. which can often sometimes, A, have some costs in terms mm -hmm. of uh, having to buy stuff later and does it even exist when you want to try to upgrade it and whatnot, yeah. but B, also like mortalities, uh, which are also very expensive. Yeah, I mean, if my goal, again, is the high energy SPS, higher PAR demand, wall-to-wall uh, -wall SPS, 200 to 350 range, uh, and if you've seen my videos or our investigates and you see that, well, two will get me there or one will get me there to 75 and 100, I can't go and buy that same one and just hope and pray that it's going to meet my goal for, you know, the higher part of demand. It's just not, it just doesn't have the output. This one also came up in your video this week, mm. uh, which is, it would appear that you could use two XR30s, uh, uh, the G5s, to cover a four-foot tank. Mm. And the answer is you can. It, and right? hit those SPS goals. Yeah, you, and in fact, you're probably not even running at 100%. Right. right? Uh, the super wide angle uh, of the new uh, like grid array and lens structure they're using does a really good job. And mm. you're probably not gonna run into any issues and not have enough par, 
for years, actually. Right. Uh, those little corals, the little nubbins you put in there are gonna take a year to get to here, and then two years they'll be, you know, probably like uh, more adult-sized clusters, uh, or colonies, mm -hmm. rather. It's that point at where, like, they start to shadow each other inside themselves, their neighbor, and yeah. all that stuff. And the more uh, lights you have above the tank, you know, the like better the results will be. And so that's why in this case, like I want to buy not for where I am, but where I'm going. And if I need to save some money, I can absolutely do just two now because it's probably going to carry me where I need to go. But if I want to think about where I'm going and know I just got this thing solved from day one and I don't have to wait until like, finally I'm watching mortalities happen mm -hmm. and then hope that the light's still there and that they don't like use this as an excuse for making me now suddenly want G6s, <laughs> you know, or whatnot. Right. Uh, get the right tool for the right job the first time, tune it right and just know you got this thing covered, mm -hmm. you know, because the amount of intersecting light sources on these things matter. And to me, you know, I think you can have a really long debate about whether or not two or three is what you need, but like, you know, I think everyone would agree that three is ideal. Yeah. Right? Especially because I can turn them now like from side to side, front to back, and like hit it like a, in a better uh, arrangement from front to back and just coat the whole tank in light. Okay, so number 13 is actually super closely related to that and it's just what works today may not work in the future and we should think again about the whole journey where we're going. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between lighting your tank, uh, your first tank or an early tank with a whole bunch of little frags uh, versus lighting your tank a five-year, six, seven, ten-year tank uh, with massive colonies, large corals that have different light demands. Uh, in this case, you know, starting uh, starting for now the tank now with a whole bunch of little frags, uh, it's a mistake if you don't think about where your tank is going to go and you know expect success five, six, ten years down the road. So I've seen this like a thousand times now where. You know, you kind of raise your hand and say, well, well, this lighting solution I have works really, really awesome. It's great, man, whatever. And then, you know, you look at the tank and it's got, you know, I don't know, like golf ball size colonies in it. And mm -hmm. it is, it's doing awesome. Yep. Uh, but the same thing is, if you ask that person three years ago is it, or later, is it still doing awesome? You start to get mixed results, right? Mm. Uh, and it kind of depends on how much effort you put into thinking about where I'm going, not just where I was at. So really think about like that type of tank again, you know, and you, actually with a lot of them, the LPS and whatnot, you don't have to put that much thought into it, but things like how close are these corals going to get to the surface and will, you know, that uh, like spectrum blending and stuff that we talked about start to get more and more impactful as the right. corals grow to the top. And like, so do I want to change out to, to, you know, like if I'm experiencing mortalities from that, do I want a different solution now that the tank's here? Or better yet, the only thing more expensive uh, than buying a nice solution to begin with buying it twice. Yeah, is buying it twice. <laughs> you know, so I got some cheap here, but I had to replace it. And the number one thing that I've learned over the years now is anytime you change anything, mm. expect you know things to go south. Some way all the way down to like losing some coral. Mm. But definitely things start to brown out. And you know, you, when you change things, it just goes south. So if you can get the right solution from the beginning and know where you're going, again, this is just a really big, big payoff. Well, that's number 14 is absolutely that, and that's changing things and aiming for or get, and chasing after perfection. Mm. Uh, changing things, like, like we said, lighting should be and can be the easiest thing you do for your tank uh, that you get right in that I only have to set it one time 
and I'm good. I would call that actually, if I could rank these, the number one <laughs> fail of all the things. If there's like only thing you heard today, it's probably that. Yeah. Right? Don't change these things all the time. They gave you the toy in the little app and it's sliders, but it's not like a toy. It's life support for an organism mm -hmm. that is trying to uh, live off of the sustainable or the light that you're pro uh, providing it. So it's not a toy. Don't change things and you'll get better results if you just set it up right and then leave it alone. It's not a toy. Don't try to change it to your colors and have Christmas mode and yeah. disco ball mode and all these other different things. Like, just change, get it right from the beginning and leave it alone. Every time you change it, you should expect months of setback. You know, if you're lucky only months, you may benefit things, but the benefit will come three months after that, meaning six months from now, you may see benefits from those changes. So set it up right, tune it, they give you those sliders to be able to tune it perfectly, but then leave it alone. Number 15 top reef lighting mistakes is getting wrapped up in the per conversation and wrapped up in achieving perfection. Yeah, I think you can get caught up like chasing the lighting dragon, right? <laughs> That's and true. Uh, you know, just trying to like always tweak things yeah. and trying to figure out like what's the best thing out there. And you're probably gonna make more harm than, than you do uh, benefit. But one of those things is like diving into that conversation of PAR versus PER. Right. PAR is measuring photosynthetically active radiation, and PER is measuring photosynthetically usable, usable. radiation. Yeah. And PER is a great thing for conversation. Uh, but it's trying to give you a percentage of the actual light that you're using falls inside that spectrum. Mm. The thing is, there's no per meter that's available to our industry, and so it's just kind of like a fairy tale thing. Right. And so one of the things it falls into is, if I have a light and I cranked it all to 100%, how much of the light falls inside of the per range and how much is out of it? And actually, again, the G or the Radeon G4 or 5 Pro and Blue mm. falls into this conversation. So the Pro is actually a lower per light because there's a lot more white LEDs in there. Yeah. It allows you to provide light spectrum that doesn't actually benefit the coral, but like benefits your eye if you like a whiter tank. Mm -hmm. Whereas the blue has way more lights in the blue range. So Optimized, the percentage yeah. of that light in the per range will be way higher and per is way better, but not if you like a really white tank. Right? Yeah. So getting up lost in that whole thing, there is like an end of it you could have a conversation about, but you don't want to get too lost in it because there's no measurement for it. It's just an element of conversation to get you right in the right pocket. The PAR conversation is the most helpful and will help the most people. All right, so number 16 is a little bonus one here, and it actually eats at my soul because <laughs> it's so inaccurately shared with the people. Yeah. But it is that just because it's in the same form factor, I mean like a rectangle or whatnot, mm. that they're all the same and it just isn't the case. A majority of the form factors for LEDs are in that rectangular shape, but there's differences in, there's differences in the puck style versus a grid style versus a grid style with individual lenses on each one of them or an individual cone or something on the, each one of them. Difference in a diffuser or not. And these differences actually equate to the way that they act inside your tank. So right tool, right job, and it has nothing to do with cost here. It's about getting what you want for your tank, mm. right? And again, I think you're gonna be able to see it in like Randy's Investigates here. We can see how they distribute light differently, but some of them like coat the tank where in a corner of a two foot area, like it's 400, in the middle it's 500. Yeah. There's only a hundred par difference between the outer edges and the dead center. 
and the other ones, it's a thousand in the center and 42 yep. in the corner, yeah. right? And if anybody thinks that's the same, you're not measuring it the same way that I'm measuring it. That's true. I, I don't know. So, uh, and a lot of them, like I can achieve that super like even spread at five inches off the tank where like, that's maybe where I want to put my light just for, you know, aesthetic reasons or that's the size of my hood mm -hmm. or whatever. Or others, you can put these lights three feet off the top of the tank to achieve that result because there are laser beams in there and right. it really needs to spread out. And so you can see it in the data. It's not just like some mythical thing. And you know, it's the right tool for the right job. And again, like something like if you look at the uh, AI Hydra versus the Radions, mm -hmm. they're both rectangles, right? But the Radeon is definitely designed for like a, a two foot or slightly 30 inch tank where you can really, really spread that light out evenly. Yeah. Whereas the Hydra, I think is best served for a deeper tank because it's definitely, you know, focused a little bit more or for a tank where you want to mount the light up at, you know, 12 inches or so instead of eight and get similar patterns. But if I'm trying to achieve the same result at eight inches with the Hydra, I'm going to be disappointed because it just isn't going to happen. Yeah. Right? Both awesome tools, but get the right tool for the right job. All right, so if you only heard one thing today, let it be this. Getting lighting right is actually super easy, and it's less about getting the perfect tool, and more so actually how you use the tool that you selected. Mm. And a PAR meter is probably the best possible way to do that. But a close second is actually having a reference, and so that's why we're really focusing on that with uh, Randy's, all of his investigates. So you can see where the PAR grid is, see his settings, know it's for an LPS tank, know it's for an SPS tank, and just emulate that and get really, really close. So if you want to find out if your light hit the list of investigates, we build this library constantly every week, and you can check that out in this playlist right over here.